Today, we are on the 47th session of our Petra project, uh, a project that started last year in April, I believe, and we are now on our 47th session. And we've been going through the whole Bible from Genesis, and now today we are looking in the book of Hebrews. So I've been given the task to preach on the book of Hebrews. So with that said, I would like to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. And we will be focusing our time in verses 8 through 16. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 16. If you don't have a Bible next to you or if your hands are tied, uh, we do have the verses on the screen as we watch um, together here tonight on the uh, online platform. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 16. While you guys are turning there, I would like to share the title of today's message. Today's message is called Living Faith with eternal perspective. Also, just to remind you, I usually read from the ESV version, but tonight, uh, just so we can have a better understanding, uh, all of the selected scripture passages will be in the NIV version, just a heads up here. So chapter 11, verse 8 through 16, I will go ahead and read for us, starting with verse 8. Let us read God's word. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him on, of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen. A brief prayer before we begin here. Father, we thank you for the gift of faith. I pray, Lord, that as we join together here tonight, Although I may not be able to see those that are watching and to see the hearts of all the members of the congregation, I believe that you see all hearts, that you see all pains, all wrongdoings, all sufferings that we are facing. Lord, I pray that those that have fallen and have become exhausted in their faith, that tonight through your spirit and through your word, that our faith would be reproduced, God. And that we may stand back up, not because of our strength, but because of the strength that comes from your strength, Lord, Lord. Father, we give this time for your glory. And we ask that this message pierce our hearts, pierce our understanding, and gives us eyes to see what life is truly about and what it means to live as a Christian. We thank you, Lord. We love you. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. I would like to start by asking a question. Um, would you consider yourself a lazy person? It's kind of a trick question. 
because in some way or another, I believe all of us are lazy. And I don't specifically mean laziness by watching TV shows and dramas and movies all day because not everybody does that. However, the world we live in conditions us to be lazy. But what do I mean by this? And to better elaborate, I would like to share a few examples. When I was younger, if I had to get to a certain destination, I would have to go on an internet and go on MapQuest, and I would have to type in my destination, and back then we didn't have smartphones, so I would either have to write down on a piece of paper all the directions step by step, or print it out if I had a printer. A majority of the time, everything went well. I usually got to my destination without any problems. But I remember this one night that I got lost. I was invited to DJ at a special event at a party in San Fernando Valley, which is very far, and it's a city that I was not familiar with. Well, the directions that my friend gave me, it took me to the exit of the freeway, but as soon as I exited, <laughs> there was something wrong with this direction. I couldn't find this house. So back then, um, even at that moment, my phone had been out of battery. So what I had to do was I had to go to a gas station. I had to panically run into the cashier and say, I'm so sorry to bother you, but do you know where this main street is? Do you know where this neighborhood is? Because I need to get here for a special event. And by the grace of God, this man knew where exactly this neighborhood was because he was a local. And I was able to go to the party and, and DJ for the crowd. Many times back then, it was a struggle to get to a destination. I remember many times I would have to ask strangers on the street, hey, excuse me, do you know where this restaurant is? Because I'm supposed to meet my family there, and I don't know where I'm at. And many times they would help. The reason I share this is because nowadays, if we need to get to a destination, all we need to do is pull out our phones, and we just type in the destination, and the phone will speak to us and tell us where to go. Another example is remembering birthdays. I remember a long time ago, before uh, computers and laptops and technology was advancing, I remember we had to write down birthdays on a notepad or on a calendar. But nowadays, to remember birthdays, all we have to do is go on our phone, go on Facebook, go on a chatting app like Katalk and Kakaotalk, and it will show you all of your friends' birthdays without even needing to ask. In these ways, life has become very convenient for us and very easy for us, making us lazy in some sense. Another example I want to share is dating. I remember back then, if you wanted to go on a date, you would have to leave your house. You would have to go out to the society, go out to the community, and mingle and socialize with people. Nowadays, you can still do that. But now we have dating apps, online dating, where you don't even have to leave your room. All you have to do is set up a profile and you select somebody that you think you will be matched up with. Food deliveries. Whenever I think of food deliveries, I can't help but to think of Korea. Uh, many people that come from Korea will tell me stories that if you're craving jajangmyeon or jjampong or tangsuyuk, their delivery system is awesome. It doesn't matter if you're ordering the food from a beach, from a mountain where you're hiking, from a movie theater, from a concert, these guys will deliver the food to you and they will find you. Somehow, some way or another, your food will be delivered. And I thought, back then, what kind of food delivery systems did we have in America? All we had was pizza. And I'm thinking, we can do better than that, America. We can get some better food systems going on. And now, now we have every cuisine, every cultural food 
on the tip of our fingers through DoorDash, through Postmates, through Uber Eats, and many other apps. And lastly, my example just to share here is online shopping. Uh, we rarely have to go to a physical building, to a mall to do our shopping. I believe more than 90% of us shop online. You guys see where I'm going with this. I'm not saying we're all lazy, that we don't do anything, but life has made our lives, the lifestyle, technology, the advancements have made our lives very convenient. Not all this stuff is bad. It's actually very helpful to us. It gives us time. It saves us time and energy. But here's the problem. Our minds are conditioned to find the easiest way to do everything. In the life we live, we naturally think of how we can live the easiest way in our lives. Because after we get used to things that are convenient for us, if it takes too much effort, then we choose not to do it. If you're at home and you're hungry and you don't want to drive and take out, you could just deliver and it'll come to your house within an hour. Once again, this is not all bad, but where does the problem come from? And here's what I want to share tonight. If we don't have clear goals, if we don't have clear plans, if we don't have clear vision, a clear purpose for our lives, then our lives will naturally gravitate to do what is easiest. And suddenly, what is easiest will become the goal of our lives. I just want the easiest and most comfortable life that I can live if we don't have purpose, if we don't have goals, if we don't have plans. I want to ask you a question to reflect on at this time. If your goal right now was to be, Paul, I want to have the easiest life possible. I want life to be so easy that I can just live comfortably and just die that way. I want the most comfortable life. I would then ask you, okay, then what would a realistic plan be? What would your plan be? If you were to think of a plan, what would you write down? And you can't say something like, oh, I'm going to hit the lottery. <laughs> That's not realistic. Realistically speaking, if your goal is comfort and an easy life, what would your plan be? I really want you to think about this for about a minute. What would your plan be for a life that is easy and your goal is comfort? Do you kind of have a plan kind of stirring up in your head? Uh, what I want you to think now is how different is your life currently than that plan? Is your life really that different? Or have you just naturally gravitated toward that plan through time? because that's what we naturally will do. We will naturally gravitate toward comfort. If you don't really think it through, your life, you will just go and do what is easy and comfortable. And these are some of the words you might say. You know what, I don't want to move. I don't want to change because I fear change. I like where I am now. I wanna stay here. I feel safe and secure. I'm familiar with where I am. And this is what I know. 
That's what we do because we don't have a clear goal and plan in our lives. We will start to pursue comfort. You know, somebody recently shared some advice with me um, that didn't sit with me well. Um, I had a hard time trying to accept what this person was trying to say. These are the words that they said to me. Paul, always try to find the easiest way to live your life. Always try to find ways to make your life as easy as possible. It's not the worst advice, right? But the Holy Spirit wouldn't allow me to accept what this person told me. Not that it's bad advice. Bad advice would be, Paul, don't wear your seatbelt when you drive. That's bad advice. Always try to find ways to make your life as easy as possible. It's not that bad of an advice. But I saw a deeper issue. And what I really saw was what this person meant by when they said that. I get it. I get what they're trying to say. Yes, I can determine to live my life to gain a lot of money, live in a big house, drive exotic sports cars, I can invest money so that my money makes money. I can have property, own property, and I can retire early, and I can live in paradise. Does this remind you of something? This reminded me of the American dream. Our past generations, our parents, our parents' parents, they believe in this American dream, and they come to America. But this is the question I ask myself. This is the American dream, but is this my dream? Is this what I want? The things I just listed, is this Paul's dream? And just because I'm an American citizen, by default, do I need to chase this American dream? Absolutely not. And I don't want this dream. This is not what I want. And I can honestly tell you, I can care less about the materialistic things in my life, the possessions that I have in my home, because the truth is, my life is not about my life. When we pass away from this earth, we don't take anything. Nothing we own in this world will be taken when we leave earth. And my life even is not my own. I don't even own my own life. Because when Christ redeemed me and purchased my sins, my iniquities, and paid off my debt, my life is no longer my life. Christ redeemed me. He purchased me. My life is in Christ, and Christ in me. You know, my life used to be about my life, absolutely. Before I came to give my life to Jesus Christ, my life was all about money. I used to work in the fashion district, Koreans College, Haba. I was making some good money. I got connected. It's all about connections, right? I got connected through a good friend from high school. I was working nine to five, Monday to Friday, making a good, stable income. And I even had a side hustle. I was a DJ, DJing on Saturday nights, DJing even on Sundays. <laughs> I made some good money, guys. But where is that money now? I should have invested, right? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I blew my money. I blew it on bars. I blew it on karaoke. I blew it on all these unnecessary things. And I asked my question. I asked myself this question now. Does money really buy happiness? And I don't 
say that money is unnecessary. We need money to live. Yes, absolutely. But is that what you want your life to be about? Is that what you want to live for? Money. I want to share a quote here that I found about money. Money can buy medicine, but not health. A house, but not a home. Companionship, but not friends. Entertainment, but not happiness. Food, but not an appetite. A bed, but not sleep. A crucifix, but not a savior. The good life, but not eternal life. Yeah, we need money. But how much do you need is the question. How dependent are you in money? Jesus teaches us in the Bible that we cannot serve two masters. It's either our heart is dependent in God fully or our heart is dependent in money as a means of life. Yes, money is important. It can buy you medicine, but it can't fix cancer. Money can buy you a house, but it can't buy you a loving, intimate family. Money can buy you companionship, but not friends, because eventually your companions will love you for your money. Money will buy you entertainment, but not happiness. Like I said, I thought money would buy me true joy, but I blew it all, and I was left so empty. Money can buy you food, but it can't buy you an appetite. It can buy you a $1,000 mattress, $1,000 bed frame, everything that you want for a comfortable sleep, but it can't buy you sleep. There are so many people that have nice, expensive, luxurious beds who suffer with insomnia. What is the irony of that? A crucifix, but not a savior. And here it is, a good life. Money will definitely buy you a fun, relaxing, comfortable life, but it won't buy you eternal life. Hebrews 13, the last chapter of Hebrews, in closing, the author, who we don't know to this day by certainty who that is, but the author ends this chapter by giving us a few set of warnings, and I believe that this person did it on purpose. One of the warnings I want to share is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. They write, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Money is important, but how much do you need? The Bible is telling us, free, live freely from the love of money, but be content with what you have. Because why? Because God has said, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. And so we can respond to God's help in our lives by saying, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What I receive from this message is, when we love money, love becomes our master. But when we see that we are content with what we have, we realize that there was never a day that I starved. Has there, any, has there ever been a day in your life that you had to walk out of your house naked because you had no clothes to wear? See, money is necessary, but how much money do you actually need? Don't fear that you will not have money because God is saying, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. The Lord will provide for my needs. 
But the thing that we need to ask ourselves is how much is necessary? What are the necessities of my life? You know, I've been asking a question to myself for the past couple weeks. The question is, what am I doing right now that scares me? What am I doing right now that scares me that I don't know if I can accomplish this because it's too hard for me? And the reason I ask myself this question is because when I study the scriptures and I, when I look in the Bible, I look at the men and women that God lifts up, these righteous and men and women of faith, and I realize that none of them took the easy road. Hebrews 11, as we all know, is considered the hall of fame of the faithful men and women, men and women of great faith. And one thing they all had in common is that none of them lived a comfortable life. They always had to put themselves in situations that were very scary. Like Abraham's story today, God is telling him to leave his place of comfort, to leave his wealth. He was a wealthy man. To leave his property, to leave his livestock, to leave his family and go to a country that he's never been to. That is scary. And why do I ask myself this question? It's because none of them lived a comfortable life. Hebrews 11 verse 6 reads, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. What is the point here? Faith and comfort don't mix. You can't live a life of comfort and still live a life of faith because by its very definition, you are going with the things you can't see because faith we are to walk in faith. You are not walking by sight, but you are walking by faith. This is what faith is about. It is not the easy, comfortable route. Because if we could see everything in our lives, if we are walking by sight, if we can know what will take place in our lives, if we can predict everything, why would we need faith? And also, why would we need God if we know everything by sight? God wants us to depend and trust in him, not to live independently. So we walk not by sight, but we walk by faith. At this time, I want to go ahead and go over a few of the verses that we reviewed in our main passage, starting with verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. We see Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons have Father Abraham. We know the story of Abraham, and we're very familiar with his story. However, a question I want to ask is, where did his faith come from? If we look at Scripture, we can see that Abraham was not always a God-loving, a God-fearing man. Abram's family we're told were idol worshipers. And if his family and his parents were idol worshipers, it's most likely that Abraham was influenced to believe in these idols. Most people believe that Abraham's faith started in Genesis 12, verse 1, when God calls him to leave his house. Let's go ahead and read that, actually, verse 1 of chapter 12. The Lord said to Abraham, or Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. 
A lot of people think that this is the beginning of his faith, that immediately his faith was sparked and he followed God radically. But this is not true. If we look at the speech that Stephen gave in Acts chapter 7, verse 2 and 3, this is what he proclaims. To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. God was working prior to Genesis 12 when he takes that step of leaving his house, leaving the country to going into a foreign country. While Abram was in the land of Ur, God was producing his faith. The Bible tells us in Ephesians, I believe chapter 4, that faith is a gift from God. Faith is not produced. Faith is not earned. We do not deserve it, but faith has been given to us as a gift from God. And just like Abraham, as we look at the example of Abraham, we see that faith had to grow in him that he may walk in obedience to God and follow him. Same thing with our lives. We may stumble in our faith, and we know that faith does not come overnight. Where does faith come from? The Bible tells us faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. And as our faith is produced by the word of Christ, we too can walk in obedience to God and follow him just as Abraham did even though he did not know where he was going. If he did not have faith, he could not have done this. If we do not have faith, we will continue to live a life of comfort. It's one or the other. Verse 9, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Now we see Abraham has left and gone into the promised land. And it says that he became a stranger in a foreign country. Later it is mentioned that he feels like an alien on this earth. And what really caught me was the way that he lived, his living conditions. Abraham and his family, Isaac and his son, Jacob, they all lived in tents. Abraham, this whole time, after he left in Genesis 12, verse 1, after he leaves, he never owned a home. He did own one piece of property. The Bible tells us in Genesis 23, verse 19, that he did own a little piece of property so that he could bury his wife, Sarah. And that's it. He did not have any other possessions. He lived in tents, and he had this piece of property for his wife. I think this is so profound to us today because has it ever occurred to you that the only land that you get to keep after you die is about eight feet by four feet? Has it ever occurred to you that right now you think you own all this property, but are you able to keep it is the question. The only land you will keep is the land that you are buried in, and that's it. And that's what Abraham's Sample, example in this verse is telling us. Don't be fooled by thinking you're going to accumulate and accumulate and accumulate in this world because eventually nothing belongs to us and nothing 
will be taken. This is the truth. This is reality. Nothing lasts in this world, but if there is one thing that lasts in this world, it is faith. And Abraham understood that. He left his home because he knew that there was another home waiting for him. He knew that he would be part of a city, that one day he would be part of an eternal city, a city called heaven, the Bible says. So Abraham can say, on earth, it doesn't really matter what I have or what I don't have. I have an eternal home awaiting for me. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 14 reads these words. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Amen. And you may think, how could Abraham have put his grandson and his son through these extreme living conditions? How could he do such a thing? I feel bad for them. I feel sad for them. You know what, guys? This is actually the greatest thing that he could do. To teach them, guys, this is not our home. Nowhere in this world geographically are we to call our home. Our home is in heaven. And this is what he taught his family. Verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. The tragedy of the story is that Abraham died in faith. You see, Abraham did not go on this journey to experience life out in following God in the promised land so that he can go back home, go back to comfort, go back to safety. The Bible tells us that Abraham once again lived in tents his whole life and then he died in faith. He lived in faith as he went out on this journey and throughout his journey, he lived in faith and he eventually died in faith. That's what we don't see nowadays. People who start their lives in faith to make it throughout their lives, keeping the faith to the point of death. There's a lot of people that the world considers Christian heroes, people with fame, people that do something great and reach a certain point of success. They gain mass followers and popularity and they continue to say what people want to hear rather than what people need to hear. And then at a certain point of accomplishment, they go back and they say, I wanna go back to living comfortably and I'll buy a house and I'll write books and I'll tell of how great I am. That wasn't Abraham. He went to the end and died in faith. I pray to God that I could be a man like that. I pray that I don't get caught up in comfort as I pursue this life of shepherding. I really hope I don't get caught up with the distraction of comfort, but I'd rather live a life of faith and keep the faith till I one day pass. Verse 13 through 16, the second part of 13, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Don't you love that verse? God is not ashamed to be called their God. I love that phrase. God says, Abraham, his whole life, he lived in faith. He followed me in faith till he died. And I think to myself, 
would God be able to say those words, I am not ashamed to be Paul's God. I would love to hear God say that about me one day. Paul, you did not just live life saying that you will follow me, but you showed in action that you are looking for a future home. So therefore, Paul, I am not ashamed to be your God. Don't you want to hear those words? Verse 15, if they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. This is a very interesting verse here. I learned a lot from this verse while reviewing this week. It's saying if they had thought about the country they had left, they had all the opportunity to go back. Suppose Abraham, after spending all these years in the promised land, suppose he starts thinking, why on earth did I leave my house where I had property, where I had wealth, where I had livestock? I could have had my grandchildren riding horses on the field. Why on earth did I leave? And why am I sitting in this tent, sleeping in this tent, by following God, I am sitting here with nothing. If Abraham had thought about what he had left behind, he had all the opportunity to go back. And this is what we see, dangers of living in the past. The Bible tells us he wasn't looking at what he left behind. He was looking forward, forward in hopes to having a real home in eternity. As I was looking at the story of Abraham, I couldn't help but to think of Pastor Daniel. Pastor Daniel was born and raised in Korea, um, and he pursued his studies that one day he would become a dentist. And he was so close from what I hear. But all of a sudden, he receives this vision from God, just like Abraham. God spoke to Abraham. God spoke to Pastor Daniel. And what, does these, what did these men do? They obeyed. Pastor Daniel comes to America, a land that he's never stepped a foot on, <laughs> a foreign country with a new language, new culture, new environment. He comes. And by the grace of God and provision of God, a church is planted. Imagine, like Abraham, if he thought of what he left behind. Imagine if Pastor Daniel thought of what he left behind in Korea and said, you know what, why did I leave Korea? I could have been a dentist. My children would have been probably living in better conditions than they are now. Why on earth did I leave? Imagine Pastor Daniel thought about what he left behind, and instead of going forward, looking toward an eternal home, imagine he went back to Korea. Think about that for a second. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4, Jesus promises us something very special. He says these words, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Jesus is saying this is not our home. Our home is where our Father is preparing in his house many rooms for us. Jesus is saying, you believe in God, believe also in me, and believe that when 
the time comes, I will come back for you and I will take you even to be with me so that you may also know where I am. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 talks about our true citizenship. But our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is writing to the church of Philippi. We may think that our citizenship, our eternal citizenship is in this country that we live in. But our eternal citizenship is not of this world, but we have citizenship in heaven. And that is why we should eagerly await in hopes and excitement for the return of Christ. Because look, there's a lot of things that we can look back on. This is what's sad. People don't look forward to an eternal home with eagerness. They look back on what they left behind, thinking and saying things like, man, before I met God or before I became a Christian, I could have done this, I, I was doing this, I could have made this much money and I could have lived in this way. And I say, if you want to go back, go back. But God is telling us, do not go back, but look forward. Look forward. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul is also mentioning here, he is saying, I have not obtained all of this, I have not yet arrived at my goal but one thing I do know and one thing I do is forgetting what is behind me, not living in the past, not wishing I can go back so that I can live my life in a certain way, but rather, Paul is saying, I look forward to what is ahead of me and I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, the key here, brothers and sisters, is we need to have an eternal perspective at all costs. It is imperative. We as Christians live our lives with an eternal perspective. Keep looking forward to a heavenly home. Keep looking forward to eternal life. Don't keep looking at the things of this world and how the world influences you and persuades you, but keep your focus on an eternal perspective. Do you have an eternal perspective? It's been about 10 years, I believe, that I've known Pastor Daniel and his family. I've seen his children grow up. Uh, some of the core members here, uh, they're actually all here today, uh, Brother Jimmy and Brother Gavin. Um, I've journeyed my life with them, pretty much, and it's been amazing. Um, I've learned a lot. It's been a wonderful experience, and I learned so much. I'm not leaving, don't worry. <laughs> kind of sounded like I was leaving. No, I'm not leaving, not yet, not yet. I'm not leaving. Um, as, as I was preparing and reflecting on this uh, sermon, I thought to myself, Semmer Church started by God's grace, God's plan, and the obedience of our leaders. But I asked myself this question, what is the mission and vision of this church? And I really rethought about this question. I think 
I need to rethink about this question more often because it just refreshed my heart to see what was important. What is the vision and, grow, um, and, and mission of this church? Well, first of all, we, we gather. We gather. This is very important because how do you send off people if there's no people to send? So we gather and we teach the word of God. We disciple, we train them, and we grow. But the mission and vision of the church is not that we gather and gather and gather and we grow old and we die together just gathering in this church. The mission and vision of this church is that we gather, we train, we equip, and we send. The mission and vision is getting as many of us to leave, as funny as that sounds. Because it's an endless cycle of we gather, we train, we equip, and we send people, those that are called to mission, we bless them in the name of Jesus, we support them and we send them off. We send off pastors who can plant churches, we bless them in the name of Jesus, we support them and we send them off. And what I'm saying tonight is that not all of us are called to missions. That's not the point I'm getting here. Because there are people that need to go and there are people that need to stay. Just like when people are sent off, imagine a worship leader is sent off because God has called them to go. Then we need a new worship leader. So we train, we equip. It's a cycle that we see in this church. And what I'm trying to say here is we can't get too comfortable, every one of us. We can't just think, okay, I'm coming to church Friday, uh, not Friday anymore, but Wednesday, Sunday, and um, I just come to church whenever I need to be there, and this is the way I'm going to live, and I'm going to die by attending Hemmer Church. I really hope that is not your goal because someday we need to go where God calls us to, but if we're too comfortable, there's no way we're going to go. A worldly perspective may look at Abraham and say, man, look at this fool. Look at what he left behind so that he can live in tents. What kind of guy is this? What is he thinking? But Abraham was no fool because he looked to what was important. He saw the big picture. You see, the world thinks the big picture is early retirement and live paradise on earth. Talk about foolish. I think that is foolish. To me, that is so sad that people's goals in life is to work hard or have the easiest way of life to get comfortable and to just live in paradise and die. That is the saddest thing I can ever hear in my life. Abraham made sacrifices, and we will too. But people may say, look it, Abraham, you're making all these sacrifices, but where is God's rewards and treasures in this life? Earthly minds will see Christianity in that way and consider them foolish. If God cared about you, Abraham, and loved you, wouldn't he provide treasures for you on this earth? But no, this is not where treasures are meant to be stored. The enemy will steal, rob, kill, destroy on this earth. Heavenly treasures cannot be stolen or lost, and we know that the Lord will bless, bless us abundantly at his return for all we have given up for his name's sake. For Jesus Christ, all that we give, all that we sacrifice does not go to waste. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 through 31. We're almost done here, guys. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. 
homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Our effort, our hard work, our sacrifice for Christ's name is not going to waste. In the NLT version, it says these words, many of who are the greatest now will be least important then, and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. You see, the world may laugh, and the world may call you fools. How could you leave behind all these things and become a pastor? How could you leave behind all these things and become a missionary? How could you leave all these things behind and move to where God is leading you and your family? How could you give up all of this for a Jesus that you can't even see? The world will comment. They will remark. They will mock you. They will do whatever it takes to hinder you. But we cannot deviate from our convictions from the Holy Spirit. We need to stand firm and hold firm our convictions that God has given to us through his Spirit. Never deviate from your convictions just because your family says you're crazy for following Jesus. Just because you do certain things and sacrifice certain things for Jesus, whatever people tell you, do not deviate from your convictions. Because as Christians, living for Christ, this is the wisest decision that we can do. I want to close here by asking you a question. And this is where I really want to challenge you. Today's passage, today's sermon is about challenge. It's about conviction. It's about how we can open our eyes to see what is important. The question I want to ask you is right now where you're at, can you ask yourself this question? Am I being effective? Am I being effective right now in my life? Maybe. But what I do know for sure is we're all comfortable. That's for sure. Can we be people that say, you know, I know that I can be more effective if I go where there is a greater need. You see, there is so much need in this world that we don't see. I encourage you to go on a mission when we can to see that there is so much need in this world. If you don't go, you will never know. Pictures won't do it. Interaction smell, senses of being there will do it. I am not trying to come up with many reasons for why you should leave, but what I'm asking you actually is coming up with reasons for why you should stay. Is there a real purpose, vision, and goal in your life that you need to stay here? Because yes, if there is, you need to stay until the time comes when the Lord speaks to you, but not everyone is meant to leave. But even if you stay here right now in your life, are you being effective for the cause of Christ? How will we know if we don't ask ourselves this question frequently? Am I being effective for the cause and purpose of Christ and the glory of God? We need to continually ask ourselves this question. We need to break out of our comfort zone because if we don't think about how effective we can be for the glory of God, then our goal will just be live comfortably and live life as easy as possible.
One day we're going to face God, every one of us, even me. Would I be able to say, Lord, as I lived on this earth, the accounts of the ministry that I did, I believe that what I did was the most effective that I could have been, and I did it for your glory. I want to live in a way where when I reach the final home, clouds of witnesses will cheer, and most importantly, God will look at me and say, Paul, I am not ashamed to be your God. Well done, well done. But if we're not being effective as Christians, we're not all called to missions, we're not all called to be pastors, but we are all called to make disciples of this world. How will you do that? How will you be most effective? I challenge you tonight, and I hope the word of the Lord speaks to you. Let's pray. Father, we, I believe, Lord, that we have wasted a lot of time because we have put our focus on ourselves and because we don't have a clear purpose or vision or goal in our lives, the goal of our lives became, I want to live comfortably. I want to live life easy. And then that's the way I want to pass away. Lord, have mercy on our souls. Forgive us for not looking to what is truly important, God. To live a life that is effective to the glory of your name. We were created to be more than this, God. I pray for the remainder of our time tonight that you would speak to those that are watching. Lord, if it's a calling, would you give them a calling? If it's a little hint of the next step they need to take, would you show them that next step? I guarantee there are some of you watching tonight that throughout your life, for some reason, when you see the brokenhearted, when you see the lost and the poor, you cannot be still. You feel like you have to do something. And you feel like this is just a human emotion, but no, this may be the Lord's touching in your heart. And it is time for you to take that step where you can be effective for the cause of Christ and for the glory of God. So Lord, once again, would you speak to us tonight? Search our hearts, O oh God. Reveal to us our hearts, O oh God. And help us to see, Father, an eternal perspective in life, that a worldly perspective would not be our priority, Father. For the sake of our lives, for the sake of our family, for the sake of our children, and for the sake of our next generation. We thank you, Father. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.